Hey y'all, and welcome to The Podluck, serving up bite-sized tastes of the best theology. I'm your host, Megan Westra. Grab a plate and let's dig in. It is episode one of regular season one here on The Podluck. I'm your host, Megan Westra. If this is your first time tuning in, then I would recommend going back to the preseason episodes for season one to get yourself really grounded into the conversation that we're having today. Quick thank you and shout out to all of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast already. Reading quickly one review from Scothia uh, or Scothia on uh, here on Apple Podcasts, they write, Megan Westra does for me what few people can make theology sound as interesting as church history. Her engaging style drew me in. The church potluck theme added a note of whimsy also. Since the first season is devoted to the question, what does it mean to be saved? The introductory mini episodes give a brief overview of four main bodies of thought within Christianity. There's also a bonus view that include exclusivism, pluralism, and Christian universalism, because what potluck doesn't come with great side dishes? I'm eagerly anticipating the full podcast to begin, which, as I write this, is next week. So thank you for reviewing, and here we are. It is the main season, and we are set to go. And I'm so excited for you to hear who we have on uh, the docket for today, who's dishing it up here on our podluck. So today, let me give you a little bit of an intro to our guest. I'm super excited to have Lisa Sharon Harper dishing it up with us today on the podluck. So Lisa, uh, from Ferguson to New York and Germany to South Africa and Australia, she leads trainings to increase clergy and community leaders' capacity to organize people of faith toward a just world. Lisa is the president and founder of Freedom Road US, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap in our nation by designing forums and experiences that bring common understanding, common commitment, and common action. Uh, She hosts a podcast through Freedom Road by the same title. I highly recommend it. Uh, Lisa is also the author of several books, most recently The Very Good Gospel, which I cannot recommend highly enough. Uh, but also Left, Right, and Christ, uh, Evangelical Faith in Politics. Evangelical does not equal Republican or Democrat. Um, And she also co-authored Forgive Us, Confessions of a Compromised Faith. That one's also really, really good. Um, She is a columnist at Sojourners Magazine and Auburn Theological Seminary Senior Fellow. Uh, She's appeared on Fox News Online, NPR, Al Jazeera, America, and her writing has been featured in the CNN Belief blog, the National Civic Review, Sojourners, the Huffington Post, Relevant Magazine, and Essence Magazine. Uh, She writes extensively on shalom, governance, immigration reform, healthcare reform, poverty, racial and gender justice, climate change, and the transformational civic ethic. Y'all, Lisa is goals, if there ever were a person who embodies goals. Uh, So I'm super thankful that she is dishing it up with us today. I have followed her work and been formed by her work for several years now uh, and just am so grateful that she agreed to come and dish it up with us today. So here's the way this works if you did not tune into the preseason. I have given you a little bit of background on Lisa and so now I'm just gonna pass the mic to her 
and for about 20 minutes, uh, she's going to give you her take on the question for this season, what does it mean to be saved? So grab a plate, let's dig in. you know, if anybody has ever heard me speak even over the last more than a decade, almost 15 years, I've been speaking about this concept of shalom for that long. And it's mainly because honestly and earnestly, God won't let me move from it. It really has felt like, you know, I mean, for years, I, I've been asked to speak on various things. And for me, it usually just really just does come back to that biblical concept of shalom. And the reason for that is that shalom and its very essence is what the kingdom of God smells like. It's what it looks like when we look around. It's what we see. And it's what the kingdom of God, the rule of God requires of its citizens. Now, the thing is, is that back in the day when I was first learning this whole term called shalom, um, I didn't really, I didn't understand it at all. In fact, I thought it was corny. <laughs> I, I literally, literally joked about it because I thought, oh, that's just so corny. Nobody's going to really, you know, go with that. I was way into like the cutting edge. Everything had to be cutting edge. But the reality is, is that this is not just, this is not about cutting edge. This is an ancient, like multi-thousand year uh, concept that actually grounds um, the understanding of the kingdom or the, the the rule of God in the scripture from the first page to the very last. And it was it was a pilgrimage that I took about 16 years ago now, um, 2003. And it was, in fact, we had just ended that pilgrimage about um, a couple of weeks ago, 16 years ago, um, at the end of July. And Uh, that year. And I was absolutely blown away and spent the next year in depression. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was because my understanding, what I came to understand as my understanding of the good news of the gospel was coming up short in light of what I had experienced on this pilgrimage, which was the darkest, really most evil stuff that has ever happened on this American soil, we rolled through that land and we we learned the stories that really rise from that land. And I remember asking myself, what does the gospel, what is, what is the good news of Jesus as I understand it have to say to this? Well, my understanding of the gospel was Jesus died to pay the penalty of my sin. And so therefore I get to go to heaven if I believe in Jesus, you know, and pray the prayer at the back of the gold booklet, right? But I imagined saying that, communicating that good news, that good news that you get to go to heaven if you pray the prayer at the back of the gold booklet, you know, to my my third time great grandmother, Leah Ballard, who was an enslaved woman. She was the last enslaved person in our family, the last adult enslaved person in our family. And I imagined saying to her, um, you know, Jesus died for your sin. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, just that alone is like, whoa, that like, ooh, it's a little touchy, right? But not only that, but that should make you jump and shout even 
So tonight, you know you're about to be raped five times by five separate people because she had about 17 children because most likely she was what they called a breeder. It was her job to breed enslaved people, money for her master. So would she receive this as good news? Would this news make Leah Ballard jump and shout for joy? And I realized that the answer was no. The answer when I was honest, like as in like bone honest with myself, I realized the answer was no. And that left me honestly kind of not knowing which way was up and which way was down because as an evangelical, my understanding of the gospel is really the center of my universe. It's the center of my worldview. Jesus on the cross, crucified, and risen again is the center point of everything. And so everything revolves around it. So the question for me was, it really became, you know, if this is not good news to my great-grandmother, my, my third great-grandmother, maybe it's not Jesus's good news. And that is what kind of propelled me into 13 years and now 16 years, um, 13 years before I wrote my book, The Very Good Gospel, and now 16 years, it's been about three years since that came out in 2016, um, of, of investigating deeply this biblical concept of shalom. Um, and the reason why, why shalom is that we, during our orientation for the pilgrimage, that's what we learned. We learned this biblical concept that brings together evangelism and racial justice. I mean, I, we really didn't have a concept for that. I mean, I had know that I had heard John Perkins say back in the day in the 1990s, you know, racial reconciliation is at the center of the gospel, but nobody ever explained how, like, why is that true? And then they would, they would point to a verse that was in Acts, I believe, and it kind of spoke to it, but not really. There was something missing and I couldn't figure out what it was. And it, it really has been over the course of the last 16 years that I've just become clear to me, very clear. So if I were to articulate the good news to my third great grandmother right now, what I would say is that Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, the, cre the, the son of God, the creator of all the universe, the creator of the one who made all of us, including you, Leah Ballard, in the image of God, with the call and the capacity to exercise dominion on this world, in this, on this earth, in this world, that God, the God who said, I have created you in order to make decisions that impact the world, in order to help shape the world, in order to help cultivate the world, in order to help um, steward the world, protect the world, serve the world. That God, Jesus, is standing here at the beginning of Mark and says, repent and believe the gospel. Be, repent, turn from your ways, and believe the good news. And here it is. The king, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means it's able to be touched. How is it able to be touched? Well, Jesus, the king, is standing right there. And in another, in another account of the gospel, in the very beginning, Luke's account, he actually sets up the beginning of the gospel by saying, in the days of King Herod, in the days of a despot, 
in the days of a king who builds tall buildings and puts his name on top. Hello, somebody, right? In those days, Jesus breaks into the world. Jesus is born of a little girl, of a 13-year-old girl. And it's that girl who becomes the first theologian in scripture who interprets Jesus' coming and says this is the meaning of his coming. The low will be brought high and the high will be brought low. And that leads Mary, who is a brown, indigenous, colonized woman, to celebrate. And that is good news to her. And that very year that she bore Jesus, the historians tell us now that 2,000 people, the year that he was born, 2,000 people in his region of northern Galilee were crucified in one day by one general, one Roman general who came through and because there was an attempted insurrection of Caesar, because Caesar's oppression of of the of the people was so great that they attempted to rise up in order to be able to exercise their agency caesar came through and squashed that by crucifying two thousand people on the year that jesus was born and so when he stands in that temple and luke 4 and he he in the synagogue, and he scrolls, you know, they, they hand a scroll to him, and he, he scrolls, he turns the pages, turns the scroll all the way back to Isaiah 61, and says, I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. He's not talking about the poor in spirit. He's talking about the absolutely poor. He's talking about the actually poor. He's talking about the disenfranchised. He's talking about the brown colonized people who were crucified by empire the very year that he was born. He's talking about his own people who were enslaved in Babylon and enslaved in Egypt. He's talking about colonized people. And that changes everything. When we don't read the scripture from the social location of Caesar as if it was written in Starbucks, then we understand that the gospel is good news to the poor, is good news to those who have been exploited, whose lands have been taken, whose forests are burning right now down in the Amazon, whose people are chained whose people are encaged on our border the gospel is good news to anyone who wants the image of god to flourish in every part of this world because as the ancients understood the image of the king the image of the king is not only a marker of where that king rules but the health of those images is an indicator of whether or not there is war against the kingdom. So when we crush the image of God through our governance, when we twist and malign or silence the image of God through oppression, we are actually warring against God. And the good news of Jesus, what I believe it means to be saved, is to be saved 
from the oppressive forces of the kingdoms of men who are hell-bent on crushing the image of God on earth. And Jesus came to set the oppressed free of the oppression of the kingdoms of men. So when we, when we fight for the rights of indigenous people to steward and enjoy the water on the land that God has given them to steward, when we fight for the rights of people of African descent in the United States to move freely without being checked at every corner by police officers or die before making it home with their carton of milk or Skittles. When we advocate and fight and legislate in ways that affirm the human right of all humanity to move freely through borders. Sure, we need to understand who's coming into our borders, but we can't stop people from moving. That's part of what it means to be human, is to migrate. It's on the first page of the Bible. Multiply and fill the earth is the first command of God in scripture. When we when we advocate and protect the image of God on earth from all forces that hinder its flourishing, then we are also advocating the flourishing of the kingdom of God. We are protecting the glory of God. And I think that it is in that work And not only that, it is in the work of Jesus on the cross. When he died, he confronted the power that we all must face, death, since Genesis 3. And he beat it. So if Jesus can beat death, can Jesus beat colonial power? Yes. If Jesus beat death, can Jesus beat white nationalism hell yes if jesus beat death can jesus beat violence against women yes because jesus beat death because of the resurrection and paul says this clearly there is no good news there is no salvation without the resurrection and what the resurrection does is it it actually reverses the fall It reverses all those broken relationships in creation. The relationship between us and God and men and women and us and creation and all of creation and the way things work. The resurrection reverses the breaking of those relationships and makes it possible for us to come back into right relationship with each other. That is what I would say it means to be saved. What it means to be saved is to believe in the king of the kingdom of God, the one who has come to set the image of God free on earth and to partner with God, leveraging our own call to exercise dominion to accomplish that flourishing. 
you so much for tuning in today. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe to The Podluck on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. To help other people find out about The Podluck, please take a minute to rate and to review. Those written reviews really help other people see The Podluck and get engaged in the conversation. Just like I did at the top of this episode, I'll take time to read a review or two. So go ahead and leave one. To support the Podluck, please visit our Patreon page. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get access to a patrons-only Slack channel to discuss this episode and others with people who are wrestling through these ideas as well. Share episodes with friends, spread the word, and post your thoughts on Twitter using at Podcast or on Instagram at ThePodluckPodcast. So welcome to the Podluck. Pull up a chair and get comfortable. And next week, we'll hear from another guest who's dishing up their thoughts. Grab a plate and we'll dig in. Then.